Dear ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ralica Cholakova. I was invested as an officer at the Order of St. Lazarus in 2015. And last year I was promoted to the rank of commander. It is my great pleasure together with Nazar Mikitsei to be one of the initiators and producers of this first podcast of the order that is dedicated to the World Leprosy Day. The purpose of the Order of St. Lazarus is to provide care and assistance to the sick and the poor, to support and defend the Christian faith, as well the traditions and principles of Christian chivalry. We are thrilled to have our Grand Prior, Jane Anima, as one of our guests today. She is going to talk more about the Order and its presence in Canada. Thanks, Riley. We're delighted um, that you joined us, as we're delighted that Nazir did. Um, we are a growing order, a growing component of an international order. Um, we are um, essentially a sub-jurisdiction of a worldwide organization uh, that has been around since 1098, literally since the Crusades. Uh, in Canada, we've been active since about 1962. Uh, we represent currently approximately 250 members from coast to coast to coast. Members join the order for a variety of reasons, some of its companionship, some of its dedication to hospice and palliative care, some of its dedication to the ecumenical work that we do, and some of it is a result of our interest and ongoing um, work in the area of leprosy, which of course is the reason for today's podcast. Um, the order has um, a grants process by which we give money back. We are a registered charity in this country. Um, donations are welcome um, to any of the pillars of our work. Um, and as a result, we have been able over the course of our 58 years of existence to put a significant number of dollars back, particularly in the field of leprosy, but also towards uh, scholarships and bursaries for ecumenical studies and theological students, and particularly now in the field of hospice and palliative care. We have a couple of signature projects. Uh, one is a book actually called A Caregiver's Guide, which is uh, available in English and in French as well as Chinese, Portuguese, uh, I believe Spanish, and a little bit of German. It's available for download off our website, or you can get a hard copy uh, by connecting with our hospitaller. We use some interesting terms in the order. A grand prior in this instance is actually a chair of the board of governors. Uh, I work with uh, 13 other people to steward and develop the order across the country. Um, we use commanderies. Uh, people are affiliated generally with a commandery closest to their place of residence. Um, they gather and they actually work locally. As an example, I live in Western Ontario and affiliate, um, although I don't actually pay the dues to Western Ontario, with a commandery in this part of the world. I joined when I was living in Manitoba. I could, if I wanted to, join the Arctic Commandery and be part of the work that they do up there. So we really do go from coast to coast to coast. We use that term. Our hospitaller is actually um, our chief medical officer in quotation marks. He chairs our medical commission. He's also responsible for stewarding and uh, managing the grants process for the money that we give away on an annual basis. 
We have a chaplain general, uh, which reflects our deep commitment, commitment to ecumenism and the spiritual side of the work that we do. Um, we have other titles that we use within the order. The chancellor, for example, is the chief administrative officer. Um, we have ranks because we are, in fact, a military, although we are not mil we're military in terms of structure and in terms of titles, but not necessarily. We're not planning to go off to war, although COVID may change that. We may be going to war against COVID, um, but we're actually not picking up swords and fighting um, that way. Um, so we have officers, we have, mem we have members and friends, you know, just general uh, a rank and file, so to speak. Uh, officers, commanders, um, knights, dames, and, uh, and the like as part of the work that we do. We are open um, to those able to provide evidence of a Christian belief through an active involvement in a faith community uh, and who've been interviewed by members of the order in Canada to confirm their comfort level uh, with the work that we are doing. Uh, membership is granted through our national body, but in fact, what happens is you become part of the international brotherhood at the same time. Um, we, as I say, work locally to solve problems that are there. There is an annual oblation that's required for all our members. Um, it is tax receivable. Um, and we're expected um, to work together um, in common purpose um, as members of the order. I'm really very proud of the work that's been going on in the last four or five years to rejuvenate the organization. Um, like most uh, small volunteer organizations, we've struggled with some issues over the past few years. Uh, we seem to be on the nice back end of it. And so last year for the first time we gave away uh, about three times more than we had for quite some time. And we're on track to do the same again this year. So uh, we're financially solid. Uh, we have a growing membership, uh, and we would welcome people to join our work. Wow, thank you very much, Jane. I have to say that uh, me, as a woman, I am very proud that there is a woman who is currently a grand prior, and I forgot... Which is interesting, because I'm not the first, actually. One of the very first uh, grand priors, actually, in Canada was another woman who happened to live in the same city that I currently do, which I think is really funny. Uh, it was Pauline McGibbon. Uh, way back in our history so it's it is it's actually it's um i'm unique almost uh in the international order there is one other female grand prior out of the 44 jurisdictions all the rest are men so. well that's once again one more positive thing that uh, yeah. we have a woman as a leader um <laughs> thank you for that thank you uh, Thank you very much for your presentation. Um, the next guest that we have is Dr. Robert Boyko. He is the hospitaller uh, of the Order of St. Lazarus in Canada. And uh, he's going to talk about the historic connection between the Knights of the Order of St. Lazarus uh, and the leprosy and uh, curing the illness in the past and the present. Thank you, Verletza. So the most famous of the fighting orders of chivalry were the Knights Templar and the Knights Hospitaller or the Knights of St. John, two orders that were founded in the Holy Land during the First Crusade. Although not powerful and largely forgotten, there was also a third military order founded, the Order of St. Lazarus. The order evolved from a leper hospital that had existed in Jerusalem prior to the First Crusade. After the Christian Kingdom of Jerusalem was established, it became part of the Hospitaller Network of Hospitals. 
But by 1142, the Order of St. Lazarus broke away. And by 1147, they became known as the Leper Brothers of Jerusalem or the Hospitaller Brothers of St. Lazarus of Jerusalem after the patron saint of lepers, St. Lazarus. And the order was recognized by King Folk of Jerusalem in 1142 and canically recognized as a Hospitaller and Military Order of Chivalry under the rule of St. Augustine by a papal bull of Pope Alexander IV in 1255. The order established itself initially in the 1130s on a site outside the wall of Jerusalem in the area of the St. Lazarus Postern between the Tower of Tancred or the modern day Jaffa Gate and the Gate of St. Stephen, the modern day Damascus Gate. This community consisted of leper brothers assisted by healthy counterparts and probably secular chaplains living a life of abstinence and prayer. They held meetings to make decisions and were presided over by a master who was normally selected from amongst the lepers. The first master of the order whom the name survives is Bartholomew that first appears in 1153. It is suggested that this Bartholomew may have been a Templar who left his order to minister to the sick. Possibly some knights and sergeants joined St. Lazarus without being lepers because there are recorded incidents of the order of St. Lazarus also, take, also taking part in military operations, possibly, possibly at the Battle of Hatton, and certainly at the Battle of Gaza in 1244, Ramla in 1253, and during the defense of Ekva in 1291. Other members of the Brethren included confreres or lay associates who did not follow the full monastic rules, including the vow of chastity. By the middle of the 12th century, the brethren appear to have assumed a military role and were then referred to as the Knights and Brothers of St. Lazarus of Jerusalem, as was written in an 1155 donation document by King Henry II of England. The order started to expand in the Holy Land, eventually having houses in Tiberias, Ascalon, Aqua, Caesarea, Beirut, and possibly other cities as well. Furthermore, it began to have military brethren whose role was primarily the defense of the leper hospitals. These military men were most likely former Templars and Hospitallers who had contracted leprosy because we know that both of these order hospitaler rules required their members with leprosy to join the order of St. Lazarus. Then after the fall of Aqua, the order of St. Lazarus moved its headquarters to Cyprus abandoned all military activities, and thereafter concentrated on its mission of providing comfort and care for the victims of leprosy until the mid 14th century. The monastic rules and institutes of St. Basil are important because their reconstruction of monastic life remains the basis for most Eastern Orthodox and some Greek Catholic monasticism. This rule was followed by some Western monasteries and was a major source of the rule of St. Benedict. By the 11th century, various monks felt that the rule of St. Benedict, which had been the standard model for monastic life, no longer satisfied the demands of a rapidly changing society with its increasing urbanization, growing literacy, and shifts in distribution of wealth and power. The rule of St. Augustine, written about the year 400, is the oldest monastic rule in the Western Church 
and serves as an outline for religious life lived in community. The Order of St. Lazarus was initially purely an order of hospitallers in the beginning and adopted the hospital rule of St. Augustine in use in the West. The order only assumed a military role later in the 12th century. The Lazarites wore a green cross upon their mantle as the order still does today. The Brethren of the Order of St. Lazarus established their role in society as carers of the victims of leprosy, especially after Pope Clement IV in 1265 placed all leprosaria in the West under the patronage of the order. It established commanderies throughout Europe. By the middle of the 14th century, the order possessed over 300 establishments in the countries. Leper colonies or houses became widespread in the Middle Ages, particularly in Europe and India, and were often run by monastic orders like the Order of St. Lazarus. Historically, leprosy has been greatly feared because it causes visible disfigurement and disability, was incurable, and was commonly believed to be highly contagious. A leper colony administered by a Roman Catholic order was often called a Lazar house after Lazarus, the patron saint of people affected with leprosy. Some colonies were located on mountains or in remote locations in order to ensure isolation. Some on main roads where donations could be made for their upkeep. Debate exists over the conditions found within historical colonies, whether they are currently thought to have been grim and neglected places. There are some indications that life within a leper colony or house was no worse than life of other non-isolated individuals. There is even doubt that the current definition of leprosy can be retrospectively applied to the medieval condition. What was commonly classified as leprosy then covered a wide range of skin conditions that would be classified as distinct afflictions today. Before the advent of antibiotics, there was no effective treatment for leprosy, and isolation in leprosaria was a standard approach to disease control and therapy. Dapsone was the first antibiotic found to be effective for leprosy on the basis of clinical trials conducted in the 1940s and 1950s. Dapsone monotherapy was the standard of care worldwide until the 1970s. When reports of treatment efficacy with rifampin and clofazamine began to appear, and when reports of bacterial resistance to dapsone monotherapy emerged. In 1981, the United States Public Health Service officially adopted the policy of multi-drug therapy, and the World Health Organization followed with a modified protocol in 1982. And in 1995, the World Health Organization made a commitment to supply multi-drug therapy free of charge to all infected patients worldwide. Leprosy or Hansen's disease was widely prevalent in Europe and Mediterranean countries for many centuries, with some 19,000 leprosaria in the year 1300. The disease was largely wiped out during the Black Death in the 14th century, but maintained an endemic form until the 12th century. Leprosy is a chronic bacterial infection of the skin, peripheral nerves, and upper airways. And diagnosis is based on clinical examination of the skin and signs of peripheral nerve disease, the damage, skin scrapings, as well as skin biopsy. 
Transmission of the organism is by close contact from person to person with incubation periods ranging between nine months and 20 years. Rifampin and other medications allow the patient to become non-infectious in a short time, thus ambulatory treatment is now possible. Multidrug therapy has now been shown to be highly effective in combating the disease with a very low relapse rate. Uh, thank you very much, Robert, for your really very interesting um, presentation. Um, I have to say that uh, it's, uh, as uh, Jane said, uh, we have to, we may go into war with COVID now. It looks like in the past, uh, the um, uh, leper brothers were uh, fighting a war with uh, leprosy. Um, so um, uh, it's, I guess every century uh, has its own challenges uh, in terms of uh, illnesses and uh, that was theirs. Um, now, next, um, uh, the next guest, and he's also our last guest today, uh, it's uh, Jeffrey de Forestier. He is going to be, um, uh, sorry, um, Jeffrey is a scientist and historian. He's a member of the order since 1992 uh, here in Ottawa. And he will talk about the structure of background to leprosy and the modern day challenges. Well, hello, everyone. Um, I, uh, I actually joined the order because of its fight against leprosy. It's something that I've, from a Christian standpoint, have always considered to be important. And it's something that uh, people often think doesn't exist anymore in the world, that it's a, a biblical condition that, that's only for, for discussions in, in church services and, and so on. But in actual fact, it is very much a, pardon the expression, a, a very much living and alive disease. Uh, it, uh, it's uh, particularly common now in uh, Brazil and India, those are the two uh, biggest countries for leprosy, but also in China and uh, Thailand and throughout Africa. Um, internationally, um, over the years, uh, it was found uh, through the United Nations system, through the World Health Organization, that it, it, there needed to be more coordination in the fight against leprosy. And uh, while it's something that doesn't necessarily pop into the heads of everyone in, in, in the Western uh, countries to these, uh, today, it is actually uh, very much uh, everywhere. And even in the United States, uh, I believe it was last year or the year before, they had 200 cases of, le of leprosy in the United States. And there's probably some cases in Canada as well, but I don't have the figures on that. Um, and if people think that it's not a serious uh, issue in terms from an epidemiological standpoint, one has to rem remember that there are, uh, there's a new case uh, identified basically every two minutes on the planet. Uh, there are 116 countries in which uh, leprosy occurs at, uh, at present or have been recorded, and there are over 6 million people in the world that are suffering from, from leprosy and the after effects of, of leprosy. Um, another thing that uh, needs to be realized is that just in 2019, there were 202,000 uh, new cases. So that's not insignificant. Um, the thing is, well, when you consider that it is a disease that is not that easily transmissible, people think that you can just simply uh, touch a leper like in the old days uh, and you would instantaneously become uh, infected. That's why you used to have people uh, 
uh, in ancient times save uh, to lepers that they always had to call out beforehand that uh, people could get out of their way. And uh, as mentioned before, it has a very long incubation period, sometimes up to 20 years. And the other thing is, is that <clears throat> the bacteria that does it, <clears throat> the main bacteria that's known for this is known as the um, a mycobacterium leprae, um, is one that grows very, very slowly. And that in fact, the vast majority of people who get infected, probably around 95% who do con uh, contract the disease, never actually develop it because in some cases, because of the long period of incubation and other factors that, uh, in terms of uh, access to, to uh, clean water, clean food, uh, clean living environments, and, uh, and also um, good health care. But um, the thing is, is that um, the main issue with leprosy nowadays, which is one that still uh, exists from ancient times, but is particularly one that is uh, the most difficult in the world's uh, efforts to fight leprosy, is the issue of stigma. Um, the thing is, is that uh, uh, leprosy or Hansen's disease is, is really what in modern days uh, refer to uh, leprosy in more uh, uh, narrow sense is actually quite uh, quite uh, curable. However, uh, the after effects of the, the damage that the leprosy does to the body are not so readily curable. In fact, uh, this is the, the issue with, with with leprosy is that uh, people always have this image of someone uh, losing a limb or, or or an appendage and it suddenly just drops off or something like that, which of course is is not correct. What happens is is that um, the bacteria attacks the nerve endings in the body and uh, causes a a, um, a lack of sensation so that uh, people with leprosy do not feel pain on their uh, on uh, their appendages and therefore uh, if they get cut or wear it down or, or have scrapes or whatever they don't feel that and with time that uh, their appendages in some uh, like hands and feet tend to wear away so this is why uh, internationally uh, there is the issue of trying to uh, cure the disease through uh, the multi-drug treatment that was mentioned before. And in fact, uh, this is largely co coordinated through the World Health Organization, which gives away and provides free medication for that, uh, that purpose. But after that, once people are cured of the disease, um, they have to deal with it for the rest of their lives. So there's one thing is, is, is then if other people around them know that they have leprosy, there is, like I said, the social stigma. And uh, we actually have in our, our language the idiom of, of being a social leper. And uh, this is where that, that comes from. So one of the big efforts that's done internationally is to provide uh, people who have been uh, uh, afflicted with leprosy and, and have been cured from leprosy is to provide them with uh, proper clothing, whether they be uh, uh, special shoes or special uh, hand protection, in order that they do not do more damage to their, their, to their, uh, to their limbs. And uh, that they can also uh, more or less continue with a, a healthy life. Um, the, uh, the issue is also that um, this type of coordination, uh, like I said, is done at the uh, international level through the World Health Organization. But what is less known is that there is actually uh, an international federation, the International Leprosy Federation, which is based in London, England, which coordinates with uh, uh, national organizations that fight leprosy around the world. In Canada, that would be uh, Leprosy Canada, and also to a certain degree, also the Order of St. Lazarus. 
Um, in fact, I had to give them a presentation back in the early 90s in London, England, uh, on, uh, on the uh, potential ways of how to deal with the whole um, sensitization and promotion of, uh, of um, uh, inclusion and, uh, and how to uh, uh, sensitize the society to the fact that, that leprous are not a threat in the way they traditionally or, or historically would see them as. And so um, um, this uh, international uh, leprosy organization based in London works together with uh, the World Health Organization and with their partners at the national level to try and bring further coordination in the uh, fight against the leprosy and the aftermath of, of leprosy. This is both from a technical standpoint uh, where they provide advice uh, at the medical level or in, uh, therapeutic uh, uh, methods. So there is, in fact, uh, this uh, very large superstructure that exists around the world in, in the uh, present day fight against leprosy. So despite people thinking that this is a, an ancient disease from the time of, of Jesus uh, healing uh, Lazarus the leper, for which uh, we, we say that our order is named, um, it is actually a very modern and present day condition and one that affects many, many people around the world and affects them for the, their entire lives. And uh, even though they, are, they, they can be cured and can then from that point on live normal family lives and, and be in contact with, with anyone uh, in society without any sort of danger of transmission, um, the people who do not have the disease and, and may be aware of others that have this disease may not have the same comfort level. It is very similar when we think about it uh, a number of years ago, uh, back in the 1980s and 90s when HIV AIDS became prevalent in the Western world. Um, uh, there was a similar sort of a reaction that people thought uh, if you just simply stood next to someone with uh, HIV AIDS, you could contract the disease, which of course is, is we now know is not the case. And that people who also get multi-drug treatments for that illness also can lead fairly uh, normal lives. So there's a, a modern parallel to uh, to what leprosy is. But because of HIV/AIDS, leprosy also got to a certain degree uh, forgotten. But there are a lot of parallels that exist there in the social norms and the social attitudes that exist. And so a lot of effort needs also to be done in sensitizing people to uh, not only the existence of the disease, but also that the hope you have to provide to the individuals that have contracted it, and also to alleviate the fears of the societies in which these people live. And as I mentioned before, while it may not be something that's prevalent here in Canada, and I'm sure there are cases that are reported in Canada, albeit rare, um, worldwide, it is uh, still a very important disease. And especially in countries such as uh, I mentioned before, Brazil, India, uh, Thailand, and a number of countries uh, throughout Africa and also uh, China. So um, that's basically uh, what I had to, uh, to say on that, on that uh, topic. And uh, my hope is that uh, with the efforts that St. Lazarus uh, makes, uh, not only in Canada, but worldwide, uh, our order can continue its historical effort in fighting this disease, which is still very much out there and very much a challenge for all of us that are concerned about it. Thank you. And, and, and on that, actually, Jeffrey, um, Canada has for a number of years, of course, uh, made donations to projects and programs that support <clears throat> individuals in their normalization. Yes. We're also actively working with our brethren or our, uh, the members of the United the Grand Prairie of America 
um, on uh, the delivery of a potential vaccine. And vaccine may not be quite the right word, but there is a treatment that is being developed. Um, and uh, we actually have set money aside that we will be directing um, to that project when it's um, able to be done. Um, I know in the United States, there's a great deal of research that goes on in terms of leprosy because they do have an act, two active leper, leper colonies. Mm -hmm. um, and there are at least two active leper colonies in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So it's not unrealistic to think that with yeah. travel, um, that people will have picked up the bacterium Mm -hmm. um, that creates the disease. And so um, I know if Ron were here, he would probably tell you that there are more cases of leprosy in Canada than you would want to think. That's right. That's right. But obviously it's not as prevalent as say in the, in the main countries like uh, uh, Brazil and so on and so forth. And that's the thing, people do travel uh, to Brazil or travel to India or to China. Myself, I, I lived in China for quite a while and uh, one never knows where one could come in contact with it. It's in, in that regard, it's also a little bit like uh, COVID right now, uh, people think that we can just walk around uh, uh, in any sort of which way and we'll be fine. But in actual fact, it can be uh, uh, contracted fairly, fairly readily and fairly easily. And it's ironic that today many people are uh, concerned about having to wear masks to uh, prevent the transmission of um, COVID. But in the ancient times as well, um, people who uh, were near lepers would also uh, deliberately try and cover themselves to protect themselves from any sort of transmission. So that sort of uh, concept that you have to protect yourself from transmission was understood before, but it's something that maybe in our modern day we need to remember again. And I do know that uh, in our own commandery here, uh, myself, uh, together with uh, Ron, we've uh, spearheaded a, an effort to actually provide uh, uh, masks that meet the uh, World Health Organization standards uh, in order to help uh, prevent the transmission of, uh, of COVID. So in that regard, uh, this concept came out of, of our understanding of what, what it is uh, uh, to deal with the, the disease of leprosy itself. So there, there isn't just the, the, the idea of leprosy in our modern world. There are other illnesses which um, have uh, parallels in the way people think about them and the way people uh, deal with them. But you're quite right. And like I mentioned before, just I think it was uh, last year or the year before, 200 new, new cases in the United States. Well, if you multiply that by every single year, that's uh, uh, quite a few thousand people in total because it is a lifelong uh, affliction once even even if it is cured finally well and i think just just on that i mean it's interesting okay so a patient is always accompanied by a family yeah. right so somebody with leprosy will have uh family surrounding or hopefully will have family surrounding just like somebody with covid yeah. would have family surrounding and so that's one of the reasons that in Canada, we've also focused in not only on um, hospice palliative care, those types of things, but also caregivers themselves. Mm -hmm. um, Rob um, has been really involved in um, developing a home caregiver support program. And we recognize that it isn't just end of life care that may need um, um, help the home caregivers may need help with. It may also be day-to-day -day things. And, you know, here's an unusual disease that you think, oh, well, nobody in Canada is going to get that, mm -hmm. but it's not out of the realm of possibility. No. Um, and so to support a caregiver is actually just as important as supporting, supporting the patient. That's right. Um, 
Well, I have to say, um, Jeffrey, that was a very interesting presentation. Um, I also want to thank all of you for uh, uh, your very insightful presentations on the different topics that you talked about. Um, and uh, hopefully we are going to have uh, more podcasts in the near future. Um, I also would like to thank to all the people listening to that um, podcast and um, also special thanks to Nazar, who is our technical uh, lead and support. Um, during this episode, you learned that uh, uh, the order in Canada efforts are concentrated on funding and resources for hospice and palliative care and caregivers. Um, we also provide financial assistance to um, theology students by way of St. Lazarus bursaries. Jane mentioned that in the beginning. And furthermore, we support a leprosy hospice in Snaini, India. If you would like to learn more about us or donate, you can contact us via email or visit our website. Thank you very much.